From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And today it's my high privilege to have as my, to have as my guest the Ukrainian Archbishop of Philadelphia, His Excellency the Most Reverend Boris Goodjack. Archbishop, welcome. Thank you, Taylor. And uh, we're recording this on March 14th, 2022, and we're well into the third week of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, what's going through your heart and mind, Archbishop? It's the third week of the escalated invasion. It's, uh, we're, we're about to begin the ninth year of the invasion. Uh, all of us have been living this since March 19. Uh, 2014, uh, it's become an event uh, in the before the eyes of the whole world at, with the world's attention in, in the last weeks and months. All of us in, in the Ukrainian Catholic community uh, are both broken up but also inspired. Uh, the head of our church is clearly on the hit list. Uh, Many of our bishops are staying in these besieged cities. Our priests are there. Uh, Catholic Charities is working with the millions of refugees. Uh, the Ukrainian Catholic University, which uh, I serve as the president uh, of, um, is a logistic headquarters for many journalists, for UNICEF, for other uh, outside agencies that are looking for a a good place to work. It, it, it is, you know, a very emotional thing, but we also need to be very collected. And uh, the forces, uh, the David that is standing up to Goliath now the third week, I think is inspiring and unifying the whole world. And so let's uh, back up a little bit and talk about you personally. You're Ukrainian. Yes, I'm, I'm born in Syracuse, New York. I was raised there, went to college at SU, um, and then I spent uh, 32 years with some interruption in Europe and serving in different countries, more than 20 of them in Ukraine, developing a Catholic university, which now has the highest incoming SAT scores, average scores in the country. So the best students want to go to this school. I was in academics, and then uh, the church asked me to serve as bishop for Ukrainian Catholics in Paris, for France, Benelux, and Switzerland, and five countries. And uh, three years ago, I was appointed uh, metropolitan here in Philadelphia. So you grew up here in the United States, in Syracuse, New York, uh, but your folks are... Uh, yes, they, my folks uh, experienced what is going on right now. My, my folks, as 18-year-olds... Both fled uh, the communist kind of advance into Western Ukraine in uh, the late spring of 1944. So this is personal for you. It's very personal. Uh, you know, uh, kind of the biggest work of my life is is a university there. With you know, we have 600 priests who are graduates of of the school. Uh, the young people, the 700 um, staff people, these are people that are in, under my charge. Many of them, we've walked together for 30 years. 
Uh, I have relatives, some in Ukraine, some have already left Ukraine through Poland um, and are in, in different, different countries. Uh, and of course, the head of our church has been hiding out in uh, bomb shelters. Um, I'm in daily contact with bishops in, in, in other places, um, with priests, uh, with caritas. Um, so, yes, it's, uh, there's, there's a strong personal connection. Where is the university you're talking about? It's located in, in the city of Lviv, L-V-I-V, which is very near where that um, Air Force base was hit by rockets yesterday. It's near the, Lviv. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it, the, the base was near the little town of Yavoriv. And, of course, as everybody knows, it's like 12 miles away from the Polish border. Did the university sustain any damage? No, no, because it, it, it's about 40 miles away. Uh, but uh, it's people at the university, the rector of the university is connected with people in, at that base. Tell us, in a nutshell, what is the difference between the Ukrainian Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and the Greek Orthodox Church? Sure. So the Catholic Communion, the 1.2 billion Catholics, are mostly Roman Catholics. But in our communion, there are 23 Eastern Catholic churches. Uh, some of them are of the Byzantine tradition, some of the Alexandrian tradition, for example, the Copts. Uh, there's the... Antiochian uh, uh, tradition, the Maronites, the Malabars, the Melancars in India. In the Byzantine family, uh, actually out of all of them, the Ukrainian Catholic Church is the biggest. It has about 5, 4.5, uh, 4.5, maybe 5 million faithful. It has 16 dioceses in Ukraine and 20 dioceses outside of Ukraine, four of them in the U.S. We we are basically orthodox in communion with Rome. I see. So as far as the liturgy goes, the ritual of the Mass, you follow the Eastern Rite. That's right. But uh, you uh, are loyal to the Pope. Yes. Uh, we, we are in communion uh, with the Bishop of Rome. We have our liturgical tradition, a canonical tradition, and a theological tradition. So, for example... Uh, differences that people might see visibly. Uh, we have married priests. Uh, in our tradition, priests uh, administer uh, confirmation uh, immediately after baptism. Which uh, only bishops do. In the Latin rite, uh, generally speaking. Um, and... Um, f there, are, there are other differences. For example, for us, it is the priest that is the agent of the sacrament of matrimony, whereas according to Roman Catholic rite, the priest is kind of the witness of, uh, of, of something that sacramentally happens between the husband and wife. In general, given you know, the different views and beliefs in the world, we're the same. We have the same faith, uh, we have uh, the same creed, as, as Roman Catholics, and um, at this time we're very grateful for the solidarity. Now, you have a, a very impressive and a strong academic background. You have a Ph.D. from Harvard. What is your Ph.D. in? 
it was in Byzantine and Slavic studies. I uh, studied uh, the whole question, how did the Eastern Church in Ukraine reestablish communion with Rome in the 16th century and wrote a big book about that. Subsequently, I studied the underground church in the 20th century. What is your book called? It's called Crisis and Reform, uh, the Kievan Metropolitanate, the Patriarchate of Constantinople, and the Genesis of the Union of Brest. Where can our listener get a copy of it? On Amazon, I think you can get it. It was published at Harvard. Um, I see. Our military audience, the Catholics who serve in the United States military, obviously are following this story very closely because, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. Yes. Uh, did it come as a surprise to you that Putin invaded? I was hoping that he wouldn't, but it was not a surprise. I was in Paris, and uh, one of the priests in the house uh, woke me up at 6 a.m., and uh, we were all bracing for it. He, uh, the invasion happened on Thursday, the escalation of the invasion that had been going on for eight years. Um, but on Monday, he had that hateful speech uh, for one hour. Uh, the next day, he moved forces in, onto Ukrainian territory that had been occupied already. So it was clear also, you know, President Biden was saying it's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, the the most important thing in the big the big let's say mistake I'll I'll call it that is um, the West has drunk Putin's Kool Aid. Uh, in two thousand one, uh, President Bush said, "I looked into his soul, and I saw he's straightforward and trustworthy." Uh, President Obama wanted to do a reset. Uh, as of this summer, you know, President Biden, well, we won't even talk about what President Trump did, how he, he called him a genius after this, um, this invasion. Um, uh, Putin was the only, only politician of global impact who Trump didn't criticize in his four years of the presidency. He, he, he demeaned, you know, very honorable people like Angela Merkel and and people in his own party. Uh, Barack Obama ridiculed uh, Mitt Romney when Mitt Romney, in a debate, said that uh, Russia is our greatest uh, challenge geopolitically. This was in 2012. In 2013 14, Russia was instigating uh, uh, the whole situation in Ukraine, which led to the invasion. Uh, so the problem is. People, freedom-loving, freedom-living people cannot even imagine what totalitarianism is and what uh, the KGB was. Fifty years ago, Putin basically sold his soul. I'm, I'm being very direct here because if you joined the KGB, you had to agree to drop all moral considerations. Uh, it's a very cynical organization. <clears throat> and we can see some former KGB agents from the Soviet times stepped back, went into business, left you know that behind. Putin, throughout his career, and especially when he over the last 22 years when he's been in power, 
He's trying to glorify that past, bring it back. He says that the greatest, in 2005, he said that the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century was the falling apart of the Soviet Union. Uh, he told President Bush that Ukraine is not a country. It, it doesn't exist. I mean, it, it's not a real thing. So uh, those who are surprised that he wants to destroy Ukrainian statehood, and as, I mean, he's, now he's very explicit and very direct uh, saying these things, just weren't listening. And um, there's, there's a problem that there aren't, aren't too many people from that area who, who have a voice uh, here in Washington or, you know, in Brussels, et cetera. Uh, and the business interest, uh, you know, the, the North Stream 2 pipeline, it was clear that this was a devastating uh, move for Ukraine, circumventing Ukraine. Uh, and uh, it was uh, increasing the reliance of Western Europe on Russian gas. Uh, and yet people went forward. Um, in many, many examples, many strategic mistakes can be, um, can be um, enumerated. I'm talking to His Excellency, the Most Reverend Boris Gudjak, Metropolitan Archbishop of Philadelphia of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Archbishop, when you hear Putin say that uh, Ukrainian, Ukraine doesn't exist, uh, when uh, you hear uh, former President Trump call what he did on February 24th an act of genius, what's your gut reaction when you hear these things? You know, I've, I've, um, the Ukrainian people uh, endured a few genocidal waves in the uh, 20th century. There were about 15 million people from Ukrainian lands, as they are now, who were killed or died an unnatural death between World War I and the end of World War II. From 33 to 45, Ukraine was the most dangerous place on earth, most likely to die if you were in Ukraine. In Washington, where we are, if there's an inch of snow, there's a run on toilet paper. Ukrainians are tough. Uh, I'm kind of a softy when it goes to you know that category, but this is this is um, not news. We're we're not surprised. You know what Putin said has been hateful. What he represents is uh, a legacy of imperialism and colonialism that has, in 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 the past, has you know killed millions of people and might lead to that again. Um, we're not just hearing these things for for the first time, uh, but it's heavy. Do you expect Putin to crack down on the Ukrainian Catholic Church in Ukraine? In the last 250 years, whenever any Russian occupying regime has taken over Ukrainian territory where the Ukrainian Catholic Church ministered, the Ukrainian Catholic Church sooner or later has been physically, visibly wiped out. It's strangled. It can take uh, decades to happen, or it can happen in a year or two. It happened a couple times in the 19th century. It happened in 1946 in a very sudden move. 
where all the bishops were arrested, hundreds of priests with their families sent to Siberia, and the church was declared illegal. The Orthodox Church uh, took over uh, the properties. Uh, others were other churches were turned into uh, warehouses or dance halls. And the Ukrainian Catholic Church was the biggest illegal church in the world from 1946 to 1989. It was reduced from 3,000 priests to 300 aged priests who were above the average life expectancy uh, in, in the country. So the Soviets thought, you know, 10 more years and, and they, the priesthood would just die out. It was very difficult to become a priest in the underground in totalitarian circumstances. And yet today there are 3,000 priests again with an average age in, 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 in the low 40s. And in our church globally, for 5 million people, there's 800 seminarians. We're in God's hands. You know, we've spoken about strategy and politics, but I think uh, I'd, I'd like our, our good per army personnel to really take this moment and look at uh, its spiritual foundations. Uh, those soldiers in Ukraine that David standing up to Goliath in Russia has 10 times the military budget. It has 10 times uh, the number of planes, uh, tanks, etc. Uh, they are standing because they believe. They're giving their lives because they believe in eternal life. Whether they go to church or not, they understand that there's no greater love than when one, when one gives one's life for their brothers, as we have in John 15, 15, 12. Um, so this, this whole uh, tragedy and drama is actually transfiguring the world. Uh, Europe, which was experiencing fissures with Brexit, with other, other difficulties today, is united. Ukraine is giving meaning to European unity. Ukraine has brought the transatlantic alliance into a new, uh, the relationship, uh, a new new understanding. Uh, David Brooks in the New York Times, he's Jewish, uh, said Ukraine has given faith to people at a time when we are deconstructing everything, when everything is, as Pope Benedict said, you know, the dictatorship of, of the sub, sub, subjectivity. Oh, my opinion, your opinion, there's no, no truth. People are seeing there's a truth and people are dying for this truth. People are giving their lives for this truth. So um, the world has been unified. Uh, there's no question. U Ukrainians basically have won this war morally. And soldiers know that morale is at the heart of any defense any resistance. But you do need instruments. And in the West, frankly, has been very slow in responding. Uh, there, if there had been an adequate response in 214, we'd have a completely different situation today. I'm talking to His Excellency, the Most Reverend Boris Gudjak, Metropolitan Archbishop of Philadelphia for the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. What is it you think that the U.S. should have done when uh, Russia invaded Crimea back in 2014? The kind of sanctions that were instituted after this escalation should have been done, first of all, before the escalation, they should have been preemptive, and actually they should have been uh, used eight years ago. What do you think about uh, President Zelensky's call for a no-fly zone over Ukraine? 
I'm not a military strategist, uh, but uh, I think that much more should be done on all fronts because this war will spread. Uh, and if Ukraine is captured, Ukraine, uh, Russia becomes uh, a bona fide empire. Ukraine is 40-odd million people in the country and about 15 million outside in, in different uh, different places, including millions in Russia, probably 5 million Ukrainians in Russia. There's no U Ukrainian Catholic Church in Russia. While there's 12,000 churches of the Moscow Patriarchy in Ukraine, there's no Ukrainian school in Russia, but there's 700 U uh, Russian schools in Ukraine. This idea that Ukraine, uh, you know, is uh, is a threat, is persecuting Russian speakers. It's Russian speakers that are being killed right now because uh, the bulk of the activity has been in eastern Ukraine, where many Ukrainians do speak Russian. Um, the problem is that, um, you know, when you see, when, you, when you're in a, in a subway and you see a little old lady being beat up by a hoodlum, you do something about it. The West did not do something about it. They slapped, you know, Abramovich, uh, the oligarch who owns Chelsea. Did he do something terrible yesterday? No. He is being sanctioned for something that he's been doing for 20 years. Well, why, why did Great Britain suddenly realize that it's to the detriment of its personal, its uh, uh, national security? Uh, why is it to the detriment of, of international business uh, to have oligarchs who rob the country of money spending half a billion dollars on uh, yachts? This was evident. This was clear. Nothing has changed, but now politics are pushing things. People are realizing, well, we have to do something, so we'll hit the oligarchs. Uh, Putin and his oligarch friends want the they want their cake and eat it too. They want the blessings of a free market economy, but also the security of the old Soviet Union. I had the uh, opportunity to visit Kiev, Kiev back then, Kiev, Russian and Odessa back in 1983 when it was still the Soviet Union. And from the outside looking in as a visitor, it was hard to distinguish the difference between Kiev and Moscow and Leningrad, then now St. Petersburg. Uh, but you have an insider's view, so uh, share with us. Uh, what distinguishes Ukrainian culture from Russian culture? Well, you know... Uh it's, it's like if, if we go uh, into Eskimo territory, we call it snow. Eskimos have about 15 words for it because they know <laughs> snow. Uh, of course, if you come out from the outside, uh, you know, you think all Africans look alike and they're all the same. Uh, but that, that, that needs, you know, we need, we need to give things attention and time. It's like the difference between Spaniards and Italians. Uh, the languages are similar, but they're different. They're separate languages. Uh, I spent uh, what was equal to three years at Harvard to learn Russian, even though my first language from home was Ukrainian. Uh, and I still speak it with an accent. Uh, now, uh, people in Ukraine, because of the Russification and the decades and generations of Soviet rule, most people in Ukraine speak it well. So they're surprised, even the Ukrainians are surprised that my Russian is as, let's say, uh, labored as it is. But Ukrainians are freedom-loving. 
they they don't like uh, autocracy. In Russia, never has a president lost an election. And Russians have suffered tremendously from their rulers, but they end up uh, glorifying, you know, those who have killed millions. I mean, Stalin is making a comeback. Mm. He probably killed at least 30 million uh, Russians. Um, And a lot of Ukrainians. Well, no, he killed 30 million Russians and then he killed Ukrainians. I'm not putting them in the same category. All the people, I think Stalin is responsible for more than more than 50 million deaths. Uh, so it, um, uh, today, a large par- uh, part of the Russian population supports this war. Uh, there's, there's at least 30% that support it very clearly. The Russian Orthodox Church does so. And this Sunday, there were scandalous demonstrations of this, uh, which uh, Pope Francis criticized. Uh, the patriarch gave the Russian army, the National Guard, a big icon of the Mother of God, and to which the representative of the National Guard said, yes, this will help us defeat the Nazis in Ukraine. And the Pope said, this is sacrilege. Now, God forbid if U.S. military personnel have to intervene in this conflict, if ground troops have to go into Ukraine, what should our men and women in uniform know about the reception they will receive from the Ukrainians fighting against the Russians. What are the Ukrainians like as hosts to guests from other countries? Ukrainians admire the United States. The U.S. for almost 150 years has welcomed Ukrainians. People in Ukraine know very well that the Ukrainian Catholic Church throughout the 20th century was free to develop in the United States and it was made illegal in the Soviet Union uh, under the Russian uh, under Russian rule. Um, they know the whole world knows the whole world wants to wants things that the U.S. has: the liberty, uh, the justice, uh, the rule of law. And um, Americans have have been uh, always warmly received in Ukraine. Ukrainians are are grateful um, for the help they are getting. They think Americans are a little naive. Uh, They see, you know, that they're slow. (laughs) They see that Putin plays them. You know, when a president looks into the eyes of a KGB agent and says, I've looked into his soul and he's a trustworthy man, I mean, Ukrainians just roll their eyes. when Obama says we're going to, you know, have a reset, when he ridicules um, Romney, uh, you know, when President Trump embraced uh, Putin and said, I trust him more than I trust our, our intelligence agencies. These are the kind of things that people, people say, well, you know, uh, probably Americans will have to learn the hard way. But uh, Americans are very well received, respected, and uh, Ukrainians are grateful for their help. And they expect that their fight for European and global freedom and justice will receive the the strongest possible support. You mentioned the uh, head of the Ukrainian Catholic Church, I believe, is Archbishop Shevchuk. 
Shevchuk, yes. And he's on the uh, hit list, yes, as far as we know. In the minute we have left, what can our listener do to support Ukraine? Three things. One is to pray. Not a war, not nuclear weapons, but a miracle brought the Soviet Union down. A country, a superpower, armed to its teeth with nuclear weapons, fell apart because of the faith of martyrs, uh, their sacrifice. Second, uh, be informed. NATO is not threatening Ukraine, uh, Russia. Ukraine, which gave up its nukes, with the army of which went in 1991, it was 900,000 troops. In 214, it was 6,000 battle-ready troops, reduced by the pro-Russian uh, president at the end. Ukraine is not a threat to Russia. Uh, third, be um, uh, try to help. Try to help. Uh, and uh, how can they try to help? There's there's great humanitarian need, but I think people in the army know better than I how they can help, and they should do it. Your Excellency Archbishop Boris Gudjak, the Metropolitan Archbishop for, of Philadelphia for the Ukrainian Catholic Church, thank you so much for uh, being on our podcast. Uh, thank you, Taylor, and I'd like to thank our troops. Uh, wherever you are, uh, men and women, uh, you are defending a great democracy that is uh, a beacon for the world. And uh, please do everything you can, uh, can to help Ukraine. Catholic Military Life is a podcast of the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, erected by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985 to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, and the government's civilian workforce beyond U.S. borders. 1.8 million American Catholics worldwide depend on the Archdiocese and its endorsed chaplains for pastoral care. For more information, visit millarch.org. The Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, serving those who serve.